This is Daniel Figella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This is an important episode, not only because we have a great guest, we have the head of AI of one of the world's largest technology consultancies in the world, Cognizant, and Brett Greenstein is with us here on the program. He's the global head of AI at that firm. Uh, We're covering an interesting topic, but we're also teeing up a broader trend here at Emerge. So everybody who's our listener, generally speaking, if you're a listener or subscriber, you fall into one of two buckets. You're either working in the enterprise as an innovation or a strategy leader, maybe a functional leader, who really wants to bring AI to life. You want to see what it can do. You want to breathe life into projects. You want to make them succeed. You don't want to write code, but you want to align strategy identify high ROI opportunities and see them through to success. And that's what we cover here, how to help non-technical folks find the right AI fit and move forward towards value. The other half of our listeners are on the AI services side. So we have a lot of folks who are thinking about starting an AI consultancy and they learn from our podcast, our website, or from Emerge Plus so that they can kind of start a consultancy with, with confidence, knowing the kind of use cases and strategies they're going to deploy. We have a lot of other folks who are in the professional services field already. Uh, Emerge Plus is full of small business sort of one-man band consultancies, but it's also full of folks who work at companies like Accenture, like PwC, like KPMG, etc. So we have consultants big and small who listen, and we are now starting a podcast just for you. So this show, the AI and Business Podcast, is going to continue. We're going to have episodes every week. No worries there. We're going to double down on how to deliver AI value in the enterprise from a non-technical perspective. That's where you're going to get on this program. But we now have a new podcast called the AI Consulting Podcast. You can go to emerge.com, that's E-M-E-R-J.com, slash pod2. That's slash P-O-D and then the number two, emerge.com slash P-O-D and then the number two, and you can get to see our newest podcast, the AI Consulting Podcast, and subscribe there on iTunes, subscribe there on SoundCloud, subscribe on Spotify. We're going to be on all the various audio platforms. This is a show entirely for service providers. If you want to know how to start your business with confidence, how to land new business with clients, how to educate clients and open up larger AI strategy opportunities, how to deliver services, even if you don't write code, how to still start a business in this space, there's a lot that we're going to cover from experts around the world. And actually, Brett Greenstein, who is our guest on this episode right here today, he is also one of our first kickoff episodes on the AI Consulting Podcast. We went live with four episodes today on the AI Consulting Podcast. We're starting big. We have Brett and a whole litany of other guests in the AI Consulting and Services space talking about essentially how to land and expand more business in AI Consulting and how to deliver more value to clients if you're doing ML Consulting. So whether you're technical or non-technical, whether you have a consulting business or you're thinking of starting one, go over and subscribe to the AI Consulting Podcast podcast. Again, you can go to emerj.com slash pod2, P-O-D, the number two, or you can just search on iTunes or SoundCloud for the AI Consulting Podcast. We have four fresh episodes, and I want to make sure you sink your teeth into that. Brett's episode on the AI Consulting Podcast, again, which went live today, is twice as long as the episode on this podcast, although this episode is excellent as well. And he goes into essentially how to educate customers to open up bigger and better AI opportunities. An absolutely critical skill. Brett has wonderful experience here, and I really want to make sure you listen to that other episode as well. So if you are on the services side, check out the AI Consulting Podcast. Uh, And in either case, you're going to enjoy today's episode. We speak to Brett. I basically, when I was off the mic with him, I, I interviewed Brett maybe a year ago. And so 
Uh, we've stayed in touch on social media. I decided we want to pull him back in. And I essentially asked, hey, Brett, what is a big meta trend around AI adoption since the coronavirus that you're seeing really take place across industries? And he talked about this broad concept of sort of forecasting and predictive for critical business metrics and critical business decisions. And he gave a, a couple of excellent examples, and it just seemed like a really apt topic. So when it comes to businesses going from, let's say, historical dashboards to more predictive decision making, there's a general trend and a general opportunity that's beginning to arise. And Brett does a great job of putting a finger on it. So I hope you enjoy his insights in this episode as well. And again, be sure to check out his episode on our new show, the AI Consulting Podcast at EMERJ dot com slash pod two or check it out on soundcloud or itunes or any of your favorite audio platforms anywho without further ado let's fly into this episode big thanks to brett for joining us this is brett greenstein with cognizant here on the ai and business podcast So, Brett, we're going to talk use cases today. You get to see a lot of them up close and personal. And I like to talk to folks who get a lot of exposure and say, what is a broad trend? Not something that's just exciting, but something that actually is delivering value today. A broad trend, maybe even industry agnostic that you're excited about. What jumps to mind when I say that? So, it's hard not to talk about things that are related to the pandemic because we're in the middle of it still. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're right. And, and what, what really changed over the last... I'll call it 12 to 18 months, was how chaotic the world became. And then businesses trying to adapt to a chaotic world. Consumer-facing businesses, especially retail, whether it's you know retail-facing like insur- like uh, retail banking or insurance or, or, or pure retail companies, all realized that the old ways of, of predicting human behavior and optimizing experience just no longer worked. People no longer behaved in a rational way. That's why we ran out of toilet paper and flour and everything else during the pandemic. People just didn't behave as normal. And all of a sudden now there's this possibility of perhaps adapting faster, better prediction, and then also new techniques around prescriptive analytics. So not just knowing what might happen next, but what could I do about it to optimize profit or revenue or customer sat, those kinds of things. And so new things came out in the last 12 months that have really helped that. i give you an example. So there was a company that sells some form of snack around the US. And during the pandemic, they realized that their supply demand models were completely wrong. And they had just done this nice piece of work to bring all their data together. And so we had a nice data foundation, but they wanted to predict. And and their old models were just linear charts that basically said, here's how much we sold this quarter last year. You know, this is the variations by region. So they guessed how much they should need. It turns out that because things were changing so rapidly, they needed adaptive models. So we applied machine learning. We actually came up with four or five different models, depending on the region, and then front-ended it to recommend which model might be most appropriate for the situation. We increased the accuracy of their forecast and their inventory by like 80% because it went from a static old approach, which tied to history, to one that was dynamic that changed to whatever conditions were happening at that moment. So as you saw the pandemic ebbing and flowing and you saw people being a little more mobile or less mobile, and you saw buying priorities changing, the predictive models adapted to that because the data was changing. And it allowed them to have different predictive models and then different confidence levels on those models and make better decisions. Yeah. And maybe you know that use case can kick us into the question around the old way in many cases uh, needs, to, needs to be shaken up a bit. You, know, you mentioned yeah. in this case, we have a snack firm, You know how many grocery stores, drug stores, wherever else they're selling their stuff. 
about what volume, about this time of season, based on you know, maybe they have some variables. You know, one would hope you know uh, con- consumption over the last six months or something, but some some relatively maybe it's less sophisticated than even that, which would be wild. But they've got some some models. Machine learning can step in and help to make that, as you had said, more adaptive. But talk a little bit about why adaptive is even possible here. I would imagine there's so many features we could potentially train on to be able to coax out whether it's you know sales volume by region or whatever to, to be able to put all that stuff together is, is not an insubstantial task. Why is it that the old way must be kind of busted up here? So I would have said the old way was under stress before the pandemic because there was already increased pressure on margins and competitiveness and all that stuff going on for quite a while. But the rate of change and the rate of... Um, disconnect from historical performance and behaviors really, really stressed most of the systems. And what you found is, like I worked with a a home goods company that used to build a 13-week rolling forecast. They'd push it out from headquarters out to the stores, and it told them what they should put on their shelves. Clearly, nothing they chose in March was correct by May. If you watch the actual buying behaviors just in the stores, that'll tell you something. And then you could be more accurate and perhaps adapt your inventory. If you also include other data outside your enterprise, for example, what's going on in the lockdowns, what traffic patterns are there, what weather pattern, like all this this other external, social media, like, um, sorry, I'm jumping topics a little bit, but when the world ran out of flour in the summer, for the month before that, social media was buzzing about people making their own sourdough bread. It would not be inconceivable to have connected those two things, but no one did. And so once you realize that what people talk about on social media is relevant to buying behavior, as well as the lockdowns and other stuff that were occurring, traffic, stuff you could call out of all kinds of sources externally, you could adapt that inventory all the time. And the companies that could did better. And I, I mentioned that company that, that changed their forecasting system. They did it in a week because they already had the data organized. Other companies are still scrambling to get their data. Yeah. And so they're, they're a step behind the rest of the world in trying to adapt. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, I, I would reckon the majority of, of enterprises are sort of in a place where their data table is not quite set yet, but clearly there's advantages to, to be there. Maybe in some yeah. corners it is, maybe in some corners it isn't, but to, to have it yeah. marshalable by machine learning. That said, what you're talking about here is when it comes to the snack folks, I would estimate hypothetically, if I could get sales by zip code or store and I could just feed that in real time and I could like plot and project that versus whatever logistical things for the year had been plotted out, that by itself might be able to cut the mustard to have big returns. I would actually estimate that if I'm a snack company and I want to have better reports in six months, figuring out which signals in social correlate to sales would actually be more of a spin wheel of like trying to find which of these features actually connect. And a lot of that stuff is evolving very quickly. And it's like sourdough ain't going to be you know hot on Twitter forever. It feels like there's some areas where you could get lost how do you knuckle down to the set of features most likely to deliver value? Because I think a lot of folks, uh, they don't maybe want a guinea pig if they don't have to. So the key to that is understanding causality versus correlation. And a lot of people focus on correlation because it, it's easy. They look at the data they control and they say, oh, it looks like people who do this tend to do that. Yeah. But we do a, a piece of work and it's, it's something you can do mathematically. There are tools for it that identify which data is most causal to the impact of your business. At that time, the social pickup on sourdough was causal. But right now, maybe there's nothing causal going on in social media. And then tomorrow there might be. So the idea of always looking for the factors that might matter, and you don't always know all of them, but you identify as many as you can, 
you watch for causality when it starts to rise up and it becomes a higher factor in the consumption of your product or the purchasing of your product or something else or the pricing of your product. When that becomes more causal, it becomes a stronger factor in your model. Yeah. And the practically people can't do this. Like if you have people making your supply demand plan, there's no way they can consume all that data. No way. And there's no way they would know what signals to look for in market. And that's why I find it's so interesting. Now, it's also true that some things have no causality. I'm pretty sure shovels have been bought at the same rate forever. And I don't need AI to predict how many shovels are going to be needed next week or next month or a year from now, unless there's a giant weather event. Other than that, there's almost nothing causal for shovel buying. So you have to really understand your, the nature of your business and which things are variable and which are not. Yeah. Well, when you talked about the limitations of humans, I think, well, yes, certainly the humans cannot comb the uh, the internet stratosphere or all conceivable third-party data sources and find which of them are causal versus correlative. Humans also are pretty limited in terms of how many of those things they can even guess at in the first place. I mean, my supposition is even if you were to say, oh, what's causal and social? Somebody's got to come up with hypotheses, which means somebody's got to go crawl social, maybe with some existing NLP tools and find existing trends and then boil that down to the ones that might correlate to us and then ask which ones might be causal and talk to the people you know, in marketing or, or who've done demand forecasting in the past who have subject matter expertise and crisscross that with them. There's limited human time for all that stuff as well. So we still have to start with a reasonable set of features to even explore, right? Yeah, but you just said the key word, you have to start. Yeah. So if you recognize that things could be better, that something could happen on social that affects your brand, or something could happen in local data or other stuff, like if, if you run a store, construction upstream from you on a highway can have a huge effect on your business. You should be watching for it. Not everyone has to watch for that because not everyone's affected by it. I think you have to start by looking at some of this data and understanding which things could affect your brand, and then beginning to collect it and track it. I think the mistake a lot of companies have made up until now is they thought the data of their business was sufficient to manage their business. So their ERP data, their HR data, their CRM data, that's fine, but it's not enough. We're doing our own sales analysis. And what happens in LinkedIn has probably a higher effect for me winning a deal than what happens in my CRM system. You have to look outside yourself to yep. start to see the data that could have an effect. A lot of it doesn't, but yep. you want to watch it. And then when you think it does, you've got to be able to act on it. Certainly. Well, and, and I'm, I'm not a, I'm certainly not advocating against finding sources outside of what you have access to, but I would counsel, and I would imagine when you're in the room with folks with limited money and time, you would also counsel them. Let's think realistically about the sets of outside and inside data that are even worth the exploration. Then let's go do the exploration and, and go ahead and dive in. Uh, because again, yep. we've got to start with hypotheses that don't totally, you know, aren't horrendous. You had a great interview with us recently on our more services oriented podcast where you talk about having the right people in the room, it feels like this is a great example of when you'd want to have the right data science and subject matter expertise people in the room. When you're asking what data sources might help us get to causal, it feels like that's a very collaborative effort. Is that right? Oh, it is. You Because you want to look at it from an industry perspective, not just your business. Yep. In my industry, what are factors that might have affected companies over the last 12 months? What are things they didn't anticipate? What data now, when you in hindsight, would have mattered if you could have looked at it? It doesn't mean you're going to catch everything that could ever happen. There's always a black swan event that can occur that you couldn't anticipate. But it's surprising how much we actually do know if we ask ourselves that question. Because most people look at the data they have, not the data they could have, they don't even ask what they should have. Yeah, yeah. So just get the right cross-functional team together, get people from your industry, not just from your company, and ask, what affects the sale of flour? What are the major drivers of flour consumption? What's upstream of that that you might want to look at? Yep. And it doesn't mean you have to watch it all the time, but you know it's something to keep an eye on. 
And if it's easy enough data to get, might be something to watch as a signal. Yeah, making those prudently, but in a in a in a well you know thought out way, assembling that possible value space of data feels like a really really important exercise for a lot of these things. And you brought up a couple yeah. examples here. We we had um, the folks who were sort of stacking snacks, so to speak. But this broad concept, which you're kind of referring to as business optimization, where we were off the the microphone, yeah, stretches its way into other parts of business. Where do you see the same dynamic of kind of prediction enhancement improving results uh, in business? So another example we've seen is insurance underwriting. So when you call an underwriter and ask for a quote, they will use whatever tables and and information they have. Yeah. Maybe they have to call you back after they've gathered your information, do some research, come back and give you a quote. And they're hoping when they give you a quote that you're going to take it and that it'll somehow be the best quote to maximize revenue for them at minimal risk and with the highest likelihood of you taking it. But practically speaking, you're guessing a lot when you do that. We created a prescriptive algorithm that basically looked at all the data coming in when someone calls and runs a bunch of massive simulation very quickly in the background. And so it recommends that if you take this price, there's a certain percentage likelihood you'll accept it. And I can choose to, to maximize revenue or minimize risk. Calibrating on the call? Calibrate on the call. Oh, I can do cool. a little slider. Cool. Yeah, on the yeah, yeah. And then you get a different recommendation. And when I think about that, I think it's basically making every agent the best possible agent you could have. Instead of every agent being the average agent, think about every time you've ever called for a quote or service or anything, you're getting the average person. What if they were all as informed as the smartest person? Not even smarter than a person, just the smartest person. That's what you're really getting when you start to do these solutions is you're augmenting agents to be at least as smart as the smartest person. And I could see myself as a company saying, well, given our financial position and given what we want to have by this quarter and whatever, we're going to start at the 77 line at a one at a hundred, you know, on risk versus profit versus whatever we're calibrating, right? Whatever the continua yeah. are, you know, we're going to have that be the default and we're going to let the agents wiggle it knowing what our, what the commander's intent is, but we're going to start them in a good spot and give them a little bit of autonomy. I could, I could see moving that bar as the company, you know, quarter by quarter or whenever I wanted to sort mm -hmm. of blanket over this higher level of, of granularity. Yeah. In, in a way, it's really doing a sensitivity analysis and an optimization on outcomes. I had a friend who ran a very small IoT company, and he would occasionally just change the price on Amazon of his product to see what people were willing to pay. And if he dropped it 5%, how much his volumes went up if he grew at 5%. But it was a completely manual and tedious process. Oh, yeah. And actually, given all the past decisions and past data, we can create models that will prescribe that and give you optimizations. Like in, um, in the case of stores, it might be at this moment the best decision for your store to actually close. Let's say there's construction and a major sporting event nearby and you have two stores in a city. It's more likely people are going to go to the other store. And if you keep this one staffed and you don't get a lot of customers, you actually lost money today in the store. An algorithm might tell you this is the best decision is close the store, put someone in the front of it. Everyone who comes by, give them a 10% discount, order it online, have it shipped to their house. The customer's happy. It costs you almost nothing. And you made the same revenue. Whereas if you keep the store open, you're going to lose a lot of money because traffic won't flow your way today. And most, yeah. most people don't come to those conclusions because they just don't think that far outside of the normal. So if we're going to wrap this up, what's the commonality of all of these you know, short use cases you've gone into? The way that I've thought about it is, what are the decisions that you need to make? Do I open this store? Do I close it? How much of X product do I need in X locations? Uh, how much do I need to make in order to get it to those locations? You know, what are your business objectives? Profit, revenue, customer sat? Yeah, it's sort of like, 
it's, it's like, what are, what are the decisions we make? And then based on our goals, which of our data and other data might just help us with that little juncture where that decision is made? It sounds like that's sort of the common theme here. Do you frame it a different way, Brett? No, no, we frame it exactly like that. It's really nice. context, action, and outcome. So we actually have a methodology to go at. So the way you paraphrase it is perfect. Nice. You got to look at what has been done in the past. What outcomes have you gotten from it? Create a predictive model from that. Look at the causality of the various factors that could change the different context. Like today might be a hot weather day. Tomorrow is a sporting event day. Whatever the things are that's context. That context combined with past actions, past outcomes give you predictive models and prescriptive models, which can give you better advice. It's, it's exactly how we think of it. Cool. Nice. All right. Good. Well, that's that's something to stick in the, the minds of the listeners here to come up with some good ideas within your own business. Again, thinking outside of your own data ecosystem, I think a great lesson from today's episode. And Brett, thanks again for being able to join us. Thank you so much, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I hope you enjoyed some of Brett's insights. Brett is an excellent guest, and we're glad to be able to have him back on. We love to have smaller business folks. We love to have startups. We love to have VCs. But we also like to have people with big titles at giant global organizations. Cognizant is, again, one of the largest technology consultancies on the entire planet. Uh, Brett is head of AI there. We're honored to be able to have him with us here. And if you are also in the services space, if you are starting an AI consultancy or you run an AI consultancy, whether you write code or not, if being an AI strategist as a business, as a role is something you're interested in, then check out our new AI consulting podcast. It just went live today. We went live with four episodes. The longest episode and the first one that we published was with Brett Greenstein. So if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to check out that other show as well. We're so grateful to have so many folks from the services ecosystem who are listeners here, and we hope you'll join us on our new podcast, the AI Consulting Podcast. Again, we're going live with four episodes right now and one episode every day for the rest of the weekdays this week. So there's going to be a lot to sink your teeth into if you want to start or grow a consultancy. You can go to emerj.com slash pod and then the number two, that's pod two, to learn more about the AI Consulting Podcast and just sign up for free and, and start downloading the episodes. If you are in that space, it will be well worth your time. And otherwise, for those of you who are either in the enterprise world or are just planning on staying tuned here on AI and business, we have a new episode dropping tomorrow on our usual Tuesday schedule. So stay tuned. I'll catch you then. And looking forward to seeing you here tomorrow.